everybody wants to be AI powered, but what AI powered means is very fungible. <laughs> this is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Schrocki. Each week, Armin will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to the next episode of SaaS Scale. I'm pleased to have Brian Dreyer on this call. It's a double pleasure for me because I know Brian from the past as well. Brian is VP of Product Management at a company named Sidecall, if I'm correct, the company is in the Bay Area. Brian, tell us a little bit about, you know, about yourself, about the company, what you guys do, which problem you solve. Yeah. Personally, I've been in product management for about 12 years now, maybe a little bit more than that. And Sitecall got its roots serving service organizations. So when I say service organizations, you typically think about technicians that work on heavy machinery. And that's typically where we, where we started. We do a lot with insurance too, but we provide a remote visual assistance platform. So we're enabling companies to not always have to be on site. Anytime they're doing an inspection of heavy machinery, you know, in a manufacturing use case, but as well as uh, we do a lot with insurance and doing claims assessments on a remote basis too. So a lot of savings, a lot of ROI when you don't always have to be in there in person. So that's probably the biggest challenge and problem that we solve for our customers. Okay, fantastic. So one of the aspects that you know any SaaS company has, of course, is the product at the core. So you have the product, it, it's the engine for the growth. And then not every company starts the product and looking at the product and building the culture around the product, building the revenue around the product, you know, all of those things that need to happen at one after the product is created. Not every SaaS company will have the same approach, not getting the same path to get there. So in your view, based on your experience, you know, being in the product world uh, in many different aspects and product management, product marketing, both large organizations, probably a small organization, you have plenty of experience from different aspects. Uh, how do you see that, you know, from the company's perspective, it's the right way to do it if you wanted to start from scratch tomorrow a company and you had enough money, money was not an issue and you wanted to do it in the right way, what would have been the way you would do it based on all of those experiences? Well, I think like any seasoned product leader would tell you, right? I mean, you typically start with the problem, right? You don't create a product looking for a solution. You, you know, you want to make sure you have some understanding of the problem you're solving. There's always, I mean, I hope any seasoned product person would, would share that sentiment there. And gathering that information comes in a lot of forms. I mean, there's no shortage of people that 
work in certain industries or in certain use cases and then have just some real intimate knowledge of the challenge they've solved. I mean, you see that in the Bay Area, right? People work on maybe siloed problems with some of the larger tech companies and then they leave and they go start their own they go start their own tech company. But usually to be able to do that takes a pretty good deal of understanding of what you're doing. You know, it's not just so that you have some street credentials um, to go with your name as founders, but you know, having that understanding of the problem you're solving is is really important there. You know, I think that's one of the things that you know you bring to the table quite a bit, Armand, as we've you know gotten to know each other is you've been in this analytics space for quite a long time. And having that level of understanding really does give you a, a differentiated perspective on how you're starting. And on the product side, you know, product managers are we're, we're an interesting breed. We don't all go to school for product management. We don't all have CS degrees. But, you know, we're usually pretty good about learning fast and, you know, getting in there quickly. So, you know, you see founders that are product-led founders that may have been product managers in the past or maybe engineering and technology leads in the past starting with companies there. So I think whichever the background is, you know, it's just it's so important to have some, not just more than some, but really having some intimate knowledge about the industry, the space, the type of customers you're going after. Because you know, right? I mean, those those early wins are your hardest. The first few customers are the hardest, and you better have a good understanding of why someone's willing, you know, what their challenges are. So when they're willing to take a chance on you, they feel good about it. And in many cases, you have to restart the product, right? So it's not always the case that you're lucky enough. Day one, you go there, you introduce a product, and that product will become your bestseller product forever for the rest of your life in the company. Sometimes you have the product, the second product is a hit, or you have to, you know, doing these kind of things. What's your experience with that aspect? Yeah, you know, and I actually worked with a company a number of years ago that was doing a pivot from hardware, perpetual license, you know, sell this box, sell some maintenance to a SaaS multi-tenant cloud software company. And, you know, it started with, this recognition that the market was changing, the customer base was looking for something different. Not everybody needed a server, but that level of pivot is, it's more than just a product for sure. You know, I mean, when we talk about scaling up companies as a whole and SaaS companies, you know, people that are used to taking orders on selling, you know, something physical is different than someone who's out there selling a three-year contract for some cloud software. You know, it took... I remember when we did this, it took a good holistic view of like, you know, really the entire company. And it wasn't all clean. It wasn't all painless. But in order for this company to survive, I mean, there was a pretty clear recognition that it needed to evolve. You know, this was a company that had started in the late 90s, you know, and let's be honest, their the tech space looked different in the late 90s. I mean, we and it looks different today. I mean, SaaS, SaaS wasn't really, you know, it just wasn't the thing that it is today. I mean, the, the 2000s and even most of this last decade, it's really changed the dynamics of it. So, you know, a pivot is more than just the product. The product obviously has to align, but really everything around it has to align. I mean, how you provide support changes, how you go to market. I mean, your marketing is different, your sales different, you know, and we, we turned over salespeople, you know, to be completely transparent. I mean, the salespeople that were there for a long time, you know, they, they weren't SaaS software salespeople. Some made the transition and others didn't. And I think as, you know, leaders of a company, you know, you've got to be willing to understand that if you're going to do a true pivot. There was a product organization before me when I got there, 
but it wasn't the right one. I mean, I, I came in and had to restart the product organization. I didn't, I didn't inherit any staff. I inherited a blank slate. You know, I had a development team that knew how to do Agile, but it was a new software, staff software development team. It was not a legacy, you know, kind of hardware-centric team. Now, there was still a transition period. We didn't shed that business altogether. But, you know, there was, it took us a little bit to bring the cultures together, for sure. I think that's one of the, the fun areas of being in product management is that we really do have an opportunity to shape the culture, you know, especially when in a pivot like this, we're really the central hub of so much of a business that, you know, product managers and product leaders really do have an outsized impact, I think, on shaping different parts of the culture there. But the pivot, you know, like I said, there was a lot of people looking at us of like, when are we going to play catch up? When are you going to have this? When are we going to be at parity? Well, parity is a funny word <laughs> when you're doing a pivot, you know? And I, I go out of my way to try to never use the word parity, you know, whether it's with a competitor or with a previous product. Because, you know, if you're doing a significant pivot or reboot or restart, uh, things should change. You shouldn't be bringing everything with you, whether that's culture, process, features in a product. Like, you're changing for a reason. It's not about parity. It's about what does this next iteration of our company and our product need to do to be successful? So yeah, pivots bring a different challenge, right? Because you got to shed some existing culture, um, how you do process. You know, it's not even just what your product looks like. I mean, even just simple UX design is completely different. <laughs> sure. So. You know, software industry in general, we have more software companies, but also not just more software companies and SaaS companies compared to 10, 20 years ago. But the software itself has become more important. So you are gaining the importance of what you know your software does in general, and then you get more software companies. So those are both good news for software, for SaaS business. At the same time, now we have this delivery mechanism that is kind of cloud, and it's just helping us a lot in the way that we you know distribute the software and makes it faster. But all of these great sign and positives compared to 10, 15 years ago, even subscription revenue, I would say it's a great addition to software companies because that helps them. Do you see anything that has been minus for SaaS companies and software companies compared to 10, 20 years ago, the trend? Because all of these are to me positive signs that we are using, you know, if you are thinking about SaaS companies. And I wonder, you know, from your perspective, you look at it and you compare it with 10 years ago and then you think about, okay, these are the things that we need to be more careful about or these are the more challenges that we have we are facing now and how to, you know, overcome that. Is it a specialization that is happening? Is it something that, you know, how to really overcome those kind of changes if there is anything that you see might be a challenge? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would largely agree with you. I think the SaaS movement has been pretty positive in general for software. I mean, I think some of the challenges that at a macro level that needed to be addressed, you know, when, as this shift from server-centric software to, we'll call it cloud-centric, I know. Obviously, we know there's servers under the hoods, but how those servers are delivered and managed is different. You know, the cybersecurity aspect of it, to me, has been probably the long hole in the tent that's taken the longest, I think, to really get there. When you look at 10 years, even when I was, you know, kind of just starting right out of college, I remember 
we were a hosted solution, but I don't even think we were calling it cloud or SaaS or anything yet. You know, it really wasn't until Salesforce really coined that term, no software, that software as a service. I mean, there's one company that really did a lot to drive that movement forward. It has to be Salesforce. We all, we all had one of those no software pins from going to Dreamforce at one point. <laughs> <laughs> the challenges have certainly shifted. You know, there's always the education and developer challenge, right? You've got to kind of revamp and think about things differently. And I think that's only gotten better. I mean, going from having to worry about your server hardware, was it compatible, to what do I need to rent on, a on AWS makes that incredibly simple. I mean, you've borderline abstracted it, which is why, you know, we're always so excited about serverless tech because it's now it's like, now I really don't have to worry about what I'm deploying on. It's just like, you know, give, give me some capacity and I'll go, we'll do the rest. So I think that, you know, specialization, like you mentioned, is, is a great, something that's been enabled by this movement. You know, it lets people start faster. It lets people start with less. So the cloud movement has really enabled people to offer more specialized solutions. Because to be honest, you can kind of get started for just a lot less capital. I know we see big raises in the news all the time, seed rounds, angel rounds, series A's. But, you know, the reality of it is, you know, a couple guys that know their way around, you know, software developments can do quite a bit. You know, you still have to be able to go to market <laughs> with that whole thing. You know, developers, I always contend, a developer that knows how to present and understand value has a leg up on a lot of, I think, founders and people just starting out that know how to write code. I mean, code is only one, one aspect of it. But the cloud has really enabled us to move forward, move faster. You know, I think cyber was always the, the long pole of the tent. I mean, we've seen plenty of incidences over the years. Banking and healthcare, you know, we're always the slowest ones to adopt. And, you know, we see them running AWS. I mean, when Capital One announced that they were going full AWS, I think that was a pretty big movement for the financial industry. Even government, federal government's adopting it. So, you know, I think the federal government even has a cloud mandate. Because, I mean, we all recognize the economics of cloud just make so much more sense. So, I mean, there's a lot of exciting things to do it, to go with it for sure. The big companies have to innovate. You know, it puts a lot of pressure on the big companies. I give Microsoft a little bit of credit for some of the pivots they've been able to do over the last five to seven years. Because they were a good example of a company that was struggling to pivot, I think. Had they not changed CEOs, I don't know if they would have made the pivot the way they are today. I think they, they made the right change at the right time. But obviously, there's no shortage of leadership coming out of AWS, you know, for that. It's really who's driving this forward at this point. Salesforce did a great job getting it started. It feels like AWS is taking it from here. <laughs> I mean, one of the aspects is, of course, the relationship between product and sales or sales and marketing, right? So, so you have on one side the revenue side of the company and on the other side, you have the product side of the company. And product management and the role that you are doing is kind of bridging between these two in a way and finding the common ground and communicating the challenges and the success stories across the kind of, you know, both sides. So has it been different in current kind of SaaS market? You know, many things have changed. Subscription model is in place. I used to, you know, every quarter start from zero. Now you don't start from zero. You're just built upon that. But then you are a smaller kind of subscription, right? That the bigger perpetual license is coming. So different kind of style of doing that. The delivery mechanism has changed. 
a lot of things that you talked about have has changed. So I wonder if those how from your perspective on the product side has impacted the relationship between the product team and the sales and marketing. Is it the same? It's different. What's your perspective on that? It's definitely not the same. And I think the biggest factor that really produces and makes sure it's not the same is the delivery cadence. You know, SaaS software, we physically can deliver more and deliver more faster. In a hardware world, but even in a perpetual software world, you know, when IT is involved and IT has to do that update, they don't want frequent updates. If they have to take a server offline on a Friday night, that is a pain in the rear end for somebody in that organization. Nobody wants to do that. In kind of the old way of doing it, you couldn't make as many updates. So by and large, what you gave to your sales team to sell, it kind of was static for six to 12 months, depending on the cycle, right? You know, maybe you did a couple updates a year. So maybe every, every six months, something would come. But you didn't have this cadence. Like you didn't have to interact as much from a what's coming perspective. You know, obviously understanding customer needs, what are prospects interested in? There was always that aspect of it, you know, from informing a longer term roadmap. But in a SaaS world, when you're delivering maybe every quarter, every month, you know, it could be every week even on some of these really, you know, continuous delivery companies out there. You know, they constantly need to be re-educated about what's coming, what's out there now. Has their pitch changed at all? Are they presenting something new? You know, little little changes, not a drastic shift from what they're talking about week to week. But, you know, you come out with larger product and, you know, you got to re-educate them. And that's one of the things that I, I've, I've certainly seen this in a few times. And companies that start with that continuous delivery cadence can, can kind of have that in their DNA and get going for a while. You know, companies that are used to delivering a little less frequently, their businesses do struggle with making that shift. And the larger the enterprise of customers, of sold to a lot of large enterprises, you know, even they don't want delivery every week because if you know, the people that are buying the software, they have to go train some of their own internal employees. If it comes too frequently, that's that's a burden that they can't keep up with. And the salespeople, a lot of times, are on the front lines of that. You know, they're selling not just the software, but they're selling the support. They're selling the update cadence. They're selling the relationship with account management. They're selling the whole package. And release frequency is part of that package they're selling. So you know, they have to understand that whoever they're selling to and their customers, that they can, they can handle it. And, you know, perpetual software was just, it was just easier. I mean, it's one or two updates a year. They kind of take it, they install it. They may need support, but it's just less frequent. SaaS, you have to be very mindful of your customer base. Small and mid-sized businesses can handle more frequent updates. And your salespeople, to be frank, smaller deals, you know, they can kind of position that frequent updates as a selling point to some degree. You want to, you want to go move up into large enterprise, you've got to be mindful of that. And, you know, I think this is sometimes where experienced salespeople, they know how to work with product a little bit differently because for me, working with sales now with large enterprise, you know, they want visibility that you're creating a partnership. They don't just need another vendor. They need more of a partnership. Your experienced salespeople definitely know that you know, kind of junior, more product-led growth type salespeople are there to churn out volume and quantity. You know, it's like, tell me what it's going to take to make the next sale. 
enterprise salespeople are looking more of a long-term. So a lot of times when I get involved as a product lead, it's not about what we do today. It's more about like, what is that vision for where we're going to be in a year, you know, give or take sometimes longer than that, even. So they want to know that you're growing with them. So you got to be a little mindful of the type of sales organization that you're working with. And I think that's one of the things that from a product standpoint, again, the more enterprise you sell to, I would argue the more we get involved. Looking back at 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was, even before AWS existed, right? So there were some companies doing hosting. And then AWS came and started with just providing you the infrastructure, meaning power, internet connection, and, you know, the kind of servers and those kind of things. And then they expanded. They expanded and rather than just the basic infrastructure, they provided you also more they could manage the servers and then they could add more services even to it. And then not only you are getting, and then they added databases and applications and other stuff. And now it's really just adding to that layer. So it's not just the basics anymore that you get just internet connection and power. You are getting more and more and more. And now, for example, if you compare it to even five years ago, it's totally different, right? So you get a lot of machine learning algorithms, services, you can train your, a lot of other things that not just AWS, but other competitors as well, like Azure and Google Cloud as well, they are just providing and it's going up, meaning that more and more and more is going to be available for software developers, for SaaS companies to really use there. Is there any way that you see that in 10, 15 years, we have nothing to do. We are SaaS companies. Everything is in AWS. In five minutes, you press some buttons and then that service is available because everything is there for you to just mix and match and build out of those Lego pieces. How do you see that? Because that's a kind of market that the way I personally see it is just getting better and getting richer and getting more on the kind of the your provider, right? And then... Your customer doesn't see AWS, doesn't know if you're using Azure or AWS. They just see your solution. But if your solution is built on top of these platforms and these platforms are giving you more and more and more and you're building the next generation of SaaS companies, means that are they going to do less? How do you see it? I mean, based on what you are, you have observed and what, you're, what you see, you, you mentioned that salespeople come to you and say, what's coming next? Next year, you know, next five years, how do you see that coming, you know, in the next coming years and how does it may impact? Is it a possibility that AWS and Azure and GCP can get bigger and bigger to what point? Is there any limit or we should just expect them to grow and just take over everything? And, um, you know, even, even they are now a combination of offering 200 different package application and 5,000 different SaaS solutions is part of AWS. You just press the button and it's, the, it's, it's just there for you. Yeah, I think it opens the door to different paths, right? Amazon was an online retailer that shifted you know, into hosting, right? That wasn't the thing they started with, but they also identified a need more than any. You know, I think any company at that scale, it opens up the door to niche-focused competitors. So we can kind of separate that that question topics in a few different points, right? From an infrastructure perspective, I mean, I think AWS has clearly shown a, a culture of innovation and listening, to be frank, of making sure things are better. I mean, serverless technology, that is 
kind of, you know, one of their next game changing things. I mean, they found a way to really abstract the metal part of hosting a service. And that only gets better. I mean, if you just look at their last AWS keynote, I mean, one of the biggest things was more services going in the serverless route. So over the next five years, I got to imagine that that trend doesn't change. You know, it's how do they make that easier and faster? Because, you know, they thrive on companies, you know, just spawning out of nowhere. You know, I mean, that's great for them and great for their business. Because let's be honest, if you start a startup today, I probably would bet, you know, seven to 10 out of those companies are going to go to AWS. Google might be stealing some of that. Maybe Microsoft is stealing a little bit here and there. But let's be honest, AWS is going to be the first place you go. And the easier it is, the more they're going to do it. Serverless is going to shift some technical skills, I think, to really know how creating one serverless function is one thing. Creating a whole system that functions on serverless is a different level of architecture. You know, they're putting out technology. I always appreciate the the learning material that AWS puts out because there's a lot of re-education that goes into that. And I kind of, I do appreciate that AWS spends a lot of time on that. I actually, I know one of the designers over there, I mean, and the instructional designers, and they, they invest quite a bit in that kind of material. You also mentioned AI. And I think that is probably still one of the areas that has I think it still probably has a long way to go. And the biggest thing is, and because we're we working with AI technology at my company too, and you know, there's still a lot of misconceptions about what it is for, what it's used for, how it's used. Identifying use cases for the technology, I think, still has a long way to go. It sounds cool. Some demos with some robots running around sound great, but at some point, the rubber's got to hit the road for individual businesses. And really helping them find use cases is one part of the challenge. But I still look at the training part as the other big challenge to that, that segment here. And I see this firsthand talking to our own customers. You know, We talk about the capabilities, what we have. And it's usually, oh, that gives me some ideas of what I might use it for. But how do we build it? Right? I mean, we're actually working on some AI training software to, to try to actually bridge this gap and lower that barrier to entry. And that's probably an area that I see AWS and Azure really still investing in. It can be as sophisticated as it wants, but if you can't train it properly and make that output easy to consume and do something with, you know, you're still going to you're going to be hindered a little bit by adoption and growth. So, if I'm looking, you know, out multiple years at some of those cloud platforms, it's still about making that easier, making it simpler for people. You know, we use some some of those AI services from the cloud platforms too. There's a lot of very simple applications for those things. We all want to go straight to these cool demos and complicated situations, but you know, their most practical use cases are sometimes some of the simplest things like document reading and understanding, you know, some optical character recognition and, and pulling words out of things like that. And we see plenty of that, but some of the more sophisticated use cases, I, I still think those are a little daunting. Um, for people out in the field, you know, maybe the crop coming up through college right now is probably going to be exposed to it really early. For those of us who've been out in the workforce, this is still something new that has to be learned. AWS can make it easy. And I think they're trying to make it easier, but understanding how to train it, understanding how to use it, scale it, that, that still has some way to, ways to go, I think, to make it really mainstream. So there are a lot of things SaaS companies have to do in the next coming 10, 15 years. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's totally true. I mean, everybody wants to be AI powered. 
But what AI powered means is very fungible. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's like a tree. I mean, it may, you know, many of the things that we had to do in the past 15 years ago, you know, there was no AWS that you had to do all of this work today yourself. But then now AWS does it. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything else. Now it's like a tree. It's just expanding, expanding, expanding. So as you get more support, it seems, from your provider, now you can focus and do other things. So that helps us to do a variety of things. So, And I think that goes back also to that the other topic we touched on, and that was, you know, when companies getting more specialized and then you can, you know, focus on the core and then you can do more, it just helps you to do more. It doesn't mean you are doing less. Actually, by getting more support, also you are adding more on top of that. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And I think a really interesting use case of specialization is Shopify in this kind of big tech cloud space. Because Shopify has really done a great job of focusing in on the needs for e-commerce purposes. A lot of companies that go to Shopify could probably find a way to do it on AWS, but they have found a way to really serve that market. And they're an interesting, I mean, they've grown a lot, especially during the pandemic. They, they grew a lot. And you know that, that's a good example of specialization, I think, on where the big companies, I mean, AWS is like the ultimate enabler, but there's still this class of people that need something, you know, need something a little bit different or they just need something more. And I think Shopify is a good example of that. I'm going to also ask you as my last question, if there is any book that you like to recommend to our audience, our audience or SaaS companies, as you know, that, you know, they, it is about the product strategy that grows SaaS business and how to, you know, scale SaaS with the right strategy. Obviously, there are a lot of books there, but I wonder what's your favorite book. Also, sometimes the book that you may recommend might be just something that not directly but indirectly might be related to kind of anyone, including SaaS companies, to read and, and grow. Is there any favorite that you would like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think probably one of the more recent ones that I really appreciated was uh, Scott Belsky's The Messy Middle. He currently is the chief product officer of Adobe, but he was the founder of Behance. He has a lot of good anecdotes about what it takes to kind of move through the startup to exit phase. So we've talked about about companies in different phases. He got some good tidbits in there. You know, he's the founder, has a product title, but it's definitely about with a lot of good anecdotes about just kind of moving through the phases of a company. You know, it's not all roses and sunshines. I mean, there are challenging times. You know, whether it's management, product, things happen. So I don't know that was a that was a good one. I appreciate. I follow him on LinkedIn too. He's got a lot of good things to say. So that'd be one I might recommend people check out. Fantastic. That's a great book to also follow. And I will provide the link on my LinkedIn as well for that. So again, thank you very much for your time, Brian. Always great speaking with you. And I appreciate having you in this program. Take care, Marilyn. Thanks for having me. You take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sascale.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening.
This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com. 